Hello and welcome back to the Center Pass podcast brought to you by Netball Draft Central. My name is Sophie Taylor and as always I'm joined by Taylor Melky. How's it going Tay? Very very good today Soph. It's a bit chilly here in Melbourne but there is plenty of netball action that will warm us right up. Absolutely. Well, it was a split round in Suncorp Super Netball this week. So we've switched it up a little bit and we've got an interview right smack bang in the middle of this episode. So stay tuned for our chat with Taylor Fraser from the New South Wales Swifts coming up next. But first off, we're going to run through the first two games of round eight of SSN action. First matchup was between the Swifts and the Firebirds. I don't think anyone expected this match to kind of blow out to the result that it was. The Swifts won 64 to 52. It was a huge, huge win by the Swifts. And this was the performance that we'd kind of been waiting for. They'd shown glimpses of that real clinical style of play, which they've become so renowned for, especially in that 2019 period. And that was definitely what they put out in this matchup. Conversely, the Firebirds just looked absolutely shell-shocked, especially in that third term where the Swifts actually doubled their score. 18 goals to nine was a really, really dominant performance by the Swifts and a pretty lacklustre one by the Firebirds. They'll be very disappointed with that. And I think one thing we've both mentioned quite a bit is that when the Firebirds defensive unit aren't able to get back a wealth of ball, then they really struggle to uh, generate any attacking momentum. And that was on full display in this matchup because both Kim Jenner and Tara Hinchliffe, while they had moments and they were able to kind of get deflections, they weren't necessarily able to translate that into goals. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think anyone was quite expecting the Swiss to come out with the intent and I I guess kind of like force behind them that they did. I mean, we spoke a lot about last week how Sam Moss was quite quiet, didn't look like herself and really struggled to kind of capture her usual form. And she turned that on its head straight away this um, round. She was really strong, really composed. I mean, we always expect that of her anyway, but Helen Housby stood up a little bit more. They didn't have Sophie Garbin this week because she was granted a week of leave to go home to her family in WA. Sad news coming out of uh, the Garbin household there, but the Swifts well and truly proved that they can find that form from a few years ago. And even though they haven't kind of been quite consistent yet this year, they're, they're really putting out that form, especially at certain ends of the court, if that makes sense. Like we said, Sam Wallace has been so hard to stop. Sarah Clough and Maddie Turner were a little bit quieter this week, but they well and truly shut down that Firebirds front end without racking up the stats. So it was just a really complete performance. Well, when you look at that Firebirds front end that relies so heavily on the likes of Ramelda Aiken, and she had a very, very interesting performance. Her stats say 39 goals from 49 attempts, but that first quarter was just a really shaky start. I think she missed about three goals and one of them was an air ball. So it was a really kind of scared start from the Firebirds and that almost filtered down across the rest of the court and with them unable to generate that momentum then it really cost them get the game now the first quarter you look at it, it was only 15 goals to 11 second quarter was much better 15 to 14 but as I touched on that third quarter was the real point of difference and I think that's when the Swifts kind of backed themselves in they really arched their backs and put their foot down to prove that they are a team that are finals contenders if everything or if they are able to put out a solid performance. And one battle that I was most looking forward to was through the midcourt of Kim Revalian and Maddie Proud. And for me, that was the matchup of the day. The two of them went 
just berserk. It was <laughs> it was amazing to watch. You could see that both athletes were almost back to their prime. Clearly, Proud had been in and out, injured, and Revalian coming back from giving birth. It was just a really, really great game to watch, and you could almost see the importance that each player plays, if that makes sense, yeah. both in attack and defense. Proud clearly more of that attacking-minded center, Revalian more of that defensive-minded center. So it was a really, really great contest and really good battle to see the way that the two of them went about their business out on court. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's safe to say, I think Maddie Proud won the player of the match there. She got her highest uh, Nissan net points uh, of her career so far. So a huge effort from her. And Ravs was the best on court for Firebirds by far too. So they were both just, like you said, they were just going at it. They were so consistent. Neither really backed down. I mean, it was just a huge performance from Maddie Proud. She was absolutely fantastic. I mean, usually I kind of think of Proud of as more of a um, attacking player and certainly more of a wing attack than a centre. But every time she steps back out into centre and she turns on that defensive hunt, she picked up two intercepts here and she was so critical down that back end for the Swifts, forcing those errors, putting those hands over. Um, she was just so fantastic. And even though the Swifts didn't win that last quarter, they kept their heads together. They were able to come out and still be really, really clinical, not allow the Firebirds to kind of string the goals together or gain too much um, momentum to allow them to skip away. And it was just a really great effort from the Swifts. And speaking of keeping heads together, I was really impressed with Paige Hadley. We've actually seen her out in that wing defense position quite a bit this season, but she found herself in that wing attack. And I think that that was a really, really smart move by the Swifts because it actually allowed or almost kind of took in for account that Sam Wallace might have had somewhat of a niggle, but then Hadley was able to really lift that defense or lift that attacking pressure. And she did that. Clearly there was no sign of Wallace and that potential niggle, or maybe it was just an off game the week before. But I think that Hadley really found her groove in this wing attack position. And we have seen her, like I said, in wing defense and she's done a great job, but she did did equally as good a role here and her combination with Maddie Proud was just incredibly hard to stop and Gabby Simpson had next to no answers for Hadley she just gave her way too much space and you can't afford to do that with the likes of Proud and Hadley. Yeah, absolutely. Just quickly touching on our special guest later on, Taylor Fraser did play out some of the game in wing defence, which everyone was kind of confused about and it looked like she was too. So that was certainly something interesting, but she added a bit of, um, I guess, not not so much pizzazz, but speed to that back end. When, when the Swifts needed a change there to adjust the pace of the back end and the transition out of defence, she was able to really, really provide that. And I thought it provided a really great... Um, addition of speed and a little bit of spark down their back end when, like I said, it wasn't like Clough and um, Turner were having a huge game down back. They combined for three gains all together and Clough only picked up the one intercept. So they weren't particularly huge, but it was the defensive effort across the entire court that forced errors from the Firebirds and allowed the Swifts to win. So I was really impressed with that change. And with Fraser's speed, it also just added that perceived pressure as well because you didn't know where she was going to pop up. And she has that ability to just pop up here, there and everywhere. And especially through transition, I think she was a great addition in the fact that she just sliced straight through the middle of that Firebirds defensive unit. Even when they were trying out different structures, she made it relevant relatively easy or made it look relatively easy to just carve it up so a really smart move and a really exciting one because if that's another thing that she can add to her repertoire then even better 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll head on to the second game now, which was another big blowout. The Giants won 57 over the Adelaide Thunderbirds, 41. It was just, I mean, there's no real nice ways to say it. The, the Giants were actually coming off the opposite form to the Thunderbirds. The Giants had lost three in a row. The Thunderbirds had won two in a row and come close around before. But the Thunderbirds lost out of lost their legs as soon as they ran out on court. The Giants just ran them over from the get-go and they just did not relent. The Thunderbirds, for me, just lacked energy. They lacked just oomph out on court and there was just everything looked so labored and you could see it on the faces of a lot of the players out on court and I know that people might bite my head off and we've kind of said it a few times or especially commentary has said it but the likes of Lenise Potgieter she's meant to be a real leader out on court and at times you've seen her almost engaging in a little bit of argy-bargy or niggle with the umpires and that's never going to end well especially when you're up against the Giants unit who are a incredibly physical but b They were on song, so they were really clean in this performance. Okay, there were the odd occasional bumps here, there, or everywhere, as any team does. But I think for me, it was just almost as if as soon as the Thunderbirds stepped out on court, they lost their heads. There was no composure, and there were just errant passes here, there, and everywhere. So full credit to the Giants for refinding that really strong form because they definitely needed to if they were going to stay in contention for finals. Yeah, well... One player that I wanted to make note of for the Thunderbirds was Maisie Nankovell. She was not very clean in this match. And when you're playing in wing attack, or I think she moved into centre for a patch there, you can't afford to be giving away those offensive penalties. And there seemed to be a lot of discourse online about that where it was just this confusion of why is she not able to get around and get the clean deflections? She's usually been really, really good at that. She's had the burst of speed. She's had the cleanliness to reach around the body and just hasn't quite hit the same marks as she has in previous seasons. The other thing I wanted to touch on was the likes of Amy Parmenta in comparison had a huge game and she was so strong. She was able to kind of hold strong through any of those offensive uh, contacts caused by Nankavel. And then she was also able to build off them and create havoc and really open up space for not only her defenders to create turnovers because Brantley was an absolute star but also create them herself she was a real workhorse and defensively that's what we want from a wing defense you want them to be able to open up space for their fellow uh, fellow defenders and force errors from the attack and that's what she did it was a really really interesting performance from Nankaville and I think in this game given the fact that she was up against such a strong wing defense who you know her bread and butter is to play wing defense yeah it was on show, if that makes sense, that she is not a fully equipped wing attack yet. She did come from that defensive background where she plied her trade, whether it be wing defense, and then progressively moved into the center. So for me, it's like those offensive contacts in her head were almost like her trying to win ball back for her team rather than kind of trying to get on the attack and find space. She was trying to take the space away from Parmenta given the fact she was having such a strong, strong game. And the fact that the Giants unit as a whole, and as you touched on April Branley, were having such a blistering start that she needed to kind of find a way to combat that and rather than putting her attacking mind on, she kind of went into a defensive mode, which was really interesting. But... Full credit to the Giants. I think that 
as I've said time and time again, April Branley, if she does choose to put her hand up for diamond selection, should be a shoe-in because her performance the past few weeks has just been phenomenal. And even combining, whether it be with Sam Pullman and then Christiana Manuel, who came on in goalkeeper in the second half, it was just great to see the way that they, she adapted so easily, so quickly, and it was a really strong performance defensively. Yeah, well, the other thing about Brandley is, and I think I mentioned this to you the other day, Tay, I feel like a lot of people forget that she was part of the Diamonds for a, a fairly long time. It was kind of a period where Australia didn't have other viable goal defenders in there. So it was really only her and Joe Weston who were able to take that position. And now that there's been a little bit of a change and you've seen the young defenders coming up the ranks, she's kind of been on the outer purely because she chose not to go up for diamond selection last time around because of her pregnancy obviously makes sense but now it's kind of like wait we've got another goal defense waiting in the wings she's certainly a shoe in if she chooses to um, opt for selection if not then we'll be devastated (laughs) but she she was just huge and one thing though I do want to mention is she was huge in the first half but and this wasn't just a Brandley issue this was the Giants overall the second half they were nowhere near as potent as they were in the first half. And that's partially because the Thunderbirds tightened up across the court, not enough to really hit their straps, so to speak, but enough to scare the Giants. The Giants only won the uh, second half by four goals um, compared to their huge first half. So that's something that the Giants will really need to work on because that's what's hurt them over the past three rounds where they've, they came out firing at the beginning of the season playing four of now the what we know as the bottom teams and then to do the same thing here where they've kind of lost that last quarter and been kind of wanting and wondering what's next where they're going to go and where they're going to draw that extra kind of oomph from um, that's a real issue where they need to kind of build up that last quarter 13 goals apiece that's not what a number one team wants to be doing and I, I mean they're not in number one but if I get they what you're get saying. There, yeah. I don't think they've won a last quarter yet this season, yeah, which was an sure. int- which is an interesting stat. Or if they have, it's only been one. So that's definitely something they will want to touch on. However, it would be remiss of us not to talk about the shooting end yeah. in Joe Harton and Sophie Dwyer. Sophie Dwyer for me has just been phenomenal since stepping up to the plate. They haven't really missed Kira Austin as harsh as that sounds yeah. because she's just fitted in so seamlessly her movement in the goal circle and just her attacking now she's what 20 21 something ridiculous 19. like that <laughs> oh, okay well sorry I overaged her but either way she is so young still but she has just such a a wise head she's really clever in the way that not only she moves but she moves the ball and sets up attacking plays to allow Harton whether to be pop out on the baseline or you know do a front cut or something like that just the two of them have really found this great connection and it's so so impressive to watch because you look at it and you're like this is potentially the future of Australia when you look at someone like Dwyer clearly not Harton she's (laughs) she's not ours but even though I'm sure many Aussies would like to claim her Yeah, I'm really liking what Harton's doing this season and I've always really liked her as a player, but last year her attitude really irked me. And I think it's because, and obviously this is just a personal preference, I'm not a huge fan of the way that Kira Austin plays. I think Harton plays a lot better with Dwyer because Dwyer plays a similar, not a similar game, but a better 
it, her, the way she plays goal attack works better with what Joe Harton does, if that makes sense. Dwyer plays a really nice role with Harton. They work in tandem really well. It's At some points, it almost looks like they read each other's minds. There was a great passage where um, Harton was staring to the outside of the ring and then flicked a small, um, probably metre and a half pass to Dwyer directly under the post, fooled everyone. And it was just awesome. And there's things like that where we want to see. Those little bits of skill where it takes the skill to spot the player, to pass that quickly, to receive that quickly under pressure. Um, yeah, it was just a really great performance from the Giants' front end. They did miss a lot of super shots again, and it's again that thing of why are you using the super shot so much when it's clearly not working? I think Harton shot two of six. Um, overall, they shot five from 12. So if they're relying too much on the super shot to win games against lower teams, then they're going to struggle against top teams. But I guess that's neither here nor there. It's a bit of a high risk, high reward type of thing. If it works off, great. If it doesn't, well, then you need to revert back to that original plan of finding Harton under the post or using those drives. And one thing is I think that Maddie Hay is often an unsung hero in that front end. If it wasn't for Hay, they wouldn't be getting that clean ball straight to the top of circle. And having that ability for Harton and Wire to kind of set up those plays inside the circle. So Hay's been a really, really good, key cog and so has Jamie Lee Price clearly she is not an unsung hero she is very much sung but (laughs) you know what I mean yeah now we are very very lucky to be joined by New South Wales Swifts mid-quarter Taylor Fraser how are you Taylor very well thank you how are you guys today yeah pretty good obviously you've had to very quickly escape Sydney a few days ago in light of fresh COVID cases what was that like yeah, um, it gave me a bit of deja vu, to be honest. When I think about last year, we got given 24 hours, and we thought that that was a crazy short amount of time, but we were given about five hours this year to pack our stuff and get going. So it was an interesting one. I was with my housemate, Lauren Moore, and we pretty much initially just laughed because we were a bit in shock, but we're here now, we're all packed, so <laughs> it feels fine now, but it was a bit stressful at the time. And how has it impacted your week off and like your bye weekend this weekend? Any plans probably had to be thrown out the window? Yeah, we're actually pretty lucky at the Swiss. Um, we didn't really have many plans plans away from each other because we all like spending way too much time <laughs> with each other. Um, but pretty much we just got here and they changed our training week around a little bit, changed the timing. And then now we've got a bit of a break on the Gold Coast for the rest of the week, which is very nice. I'm jealous. I suppose it's not too bad having a bye weekend up in the Gold Coast. Nice weather, all of that. Yeah, no, it's not too bad at all. And um, obviously the restrictions are a little bit different here, so we can probably get out and about a little bit more than we could in Sydney. So there's a blessing in disguise, I suppose. And you touched on the fact that you did play up in the hub in 2020. How is this season, or prior to the quick escape from Sydney to Queensland this week, how has this season differed between last yeah, well, obviously, it's nice to have some home games. Um, I actually played my first game in New South Wales that I'd ever played this year because in the previous year, in 2019, all of our games that I was in were away. And then, obviously, when we went into the hub. So, it was really special to just play in front of my family and see people cheering for us rather than for the other teams. So, um, the home games have just been epic. Yeah, how amazing. And touching on that, you're officially elevated to a full-time squad member this year after kind of playing in games here and there throughout 2019 and 2020. What was that like being, like kind of getting that official call up? 
Yeah, honestly, it was so epic. Um, I've grown up in New South Wales, so I love the New South Wales Swiss, and I've always wanted to play for them. But Bri told me that I was um, getting a contract, I was literally over the moon. I didn't believe her initially because obviously there's three incredible international mid-quarters in the Swiss, so I knew it was going to be a bit of a struggle to work my way in. But yeah, no, super grateful for it. And it's been a little bit of an up and down season so far for the Swifts. There's been really great passages and then just moments of inconsistency. How have you found it out on court? Yeah, we have um, struggled a little bit to put a full 60 minutes together. We um, finally got one against the Giants and then obviously we had a little bit of a down game against Adelaide. So it's been tricky, but we think we're on the right path. We don't want to be hitting our straps just yet. There's a long way to go still. So we'll get there, but... We'll go start working it out soon. Definitely. Well, speaking of working it out, you played wing defence on the weekend. Is that something you've worked on this season and the coaching staff, or was it a surprise to you as much as it was to everyone else? Yeah, so obviously I am naturally more a centre wing attack, but when I was growing up, I did play wing defence, so that was always kind of in my tool bag, as I like to call it. But yeah, I actually have been working with Beck Bully a little bit more this year to work on my defensive game, whether it be in centre wing attack or wing defence. So it was a slight shock initially when Brian told me, I was like, wait, which bib do you want me to put on? <laughs> but um, I knew I knew my role, I knew what I had to do. And honestly, I just, anytime I get on an SSN court, I'm really grateful. So I'll play anywhere. <laughs> you touched on the fact that you were working a little bit closer with the likes of Beck Bully this season. How much of an influence has the coaching staff had on your individual development and just helping to build connections across the court, whether it be with Sam Wallace, Helen Houseby or defensively? Yeah, no, they've been awesome this year. Um, I'm absolutely loving what Beck's bringing to the club and obviously I've had Bri for a little while now and I just think that they work really well together um, in an attacking and defensive point of view. We also have really, really awesome um, strength and conditioning coaches and physios. So I think um, this year just as a whole and as an athlete, my, my body's at a much better place than it has been in the past and I just feel like I can perform at a much higher level. So I feel very lucky and grateful to have the people we do at Swiss. Definitely. Well, a bit of a different question now who is your toughest opposition and who do you most like coming up against whether it be a team or a player anyone really gosh okay so i would say as a team as a whole i would say probably the giants just because of the crosstown rivalry um (laughs) being a new south wales girl i like to hold the record of you know the best new south wales team in the state um but as an individual i actually love playing with ash grads i think she's just an incredible athlete and she challenges me every second of the game but I just really think that um, we can test really well and yeah she's just like a really really cool chick off the court as well so it's really cool coming up against her. I was going to say that I reckon Ash Braz would be my toughest opponent not that I play SSN but when I look at everyone out on court I'm always like yeah there's no way on earth I would want to come up against her because she's just so dominant <laughs> she's an absolute weapon in every way it's definitely i have my um toss it out for me whenever i uh, go on a court near her <laughs> i don't blame you and currently the swifts are sitting nicely on the ladder so what do you think you need to do as a team or individually to continue to push on and make sure that you give the finals a real push this season after f- falling short last season 
Yeah, obviously it was quite disappointing for us last year after the big win in 2019. So I think we kind of just have to go back to the basics, to be honest. Um, as a team, when we start to overthink, that's kind of when we fall apart a little bit. So we're just sticking to basics, getting into training and um, just doing the little things that Brian Beck say because we really do have a team and a team of 10 that can do a job. So if we stick to our game plan and our processes, we should be okay. We can push forward in finals time. I was going to say, speaking of a team of 10, obviously there's quite a lot of rotation through that midcourt there. What do you prefer? Do you prefer seeing a lot of rotation and kind of adjusting to the game at hand or do you prefer to start with a seven and kind of continue with that? See, I'm not actually 100% on what I think works. I think every game changes and sometimes you need a strong seven to play out a full 60 minutes and other times you need rotations coming. But um, I think Bry and Beck have worked out a really cool strategy for that. So we kind of just go with it. If they need me to be an impact player, then I'll be an impact player. Um, and I just play my role. So I'm not quite sure on that one. <laughs> and what's it like having the likes of Maddie Proud and Paige Hadley through that midcourt? Do they, what pro- I suppose, what type of support do they provide you in helping you develop? Yeah, um, they're absolute legends and... Um, I've obviously grown up absolutely loving Paigey. She was my idol. Her memory actually came up on my Facebook the other day, seven years ago, with me, with her. It was so funny. I was like, oh, my God, this is Paige Hadley. She's my idol. So that made me laugh. Um, but they are such great leaders, both of them, in different ways. And they've really taken me under their wing the past couple of years. And I can definitely say that I wouldn't be where I am now if I wasn't training against them and training with them I just feel like I've taken leaps and bounds just from the way that they've helped me progress not only as an athlete but as a professional on the side as well. And we're just looking at the upcoming rounds and clearly as we touched on a bit earlier Taylor and the New South Wales Swifts are currently up in the Gold Coast so Taylor just talk us through the day where you actually found out you were leaving and how much time you had to prepare. Yeah, so it was on Tuesday and we were given pretty much instructions at around 2pm that we were going to have to leave Sydney and that um, we needed to pack our stuff. At the time, we didn't have any information of when our flight would be. It could have been in an hour, it could have been in five hours. We weren't sure, so pretty much we just ran around our houses like crazy people packing. So I was with Lauren Moore, um, my housemate, and she's such a chiller when it comes to everything. She doesn't stress. She just gets stuff done, whereas I'm such a stress head. I was running around going, I need my shoes, I need this, I need that. How are we going to get this done in time? Um, but in the end, we found out that we were flying at around 7, and we had to be at the airport by 6. So it was definitely an interesting day, not one that we planned for. We were sitting on the couch uh, eating breakfast and lunch and just enjoying our day off. So it changed quite quickly. One of my um, friends had to come over as well and help me pack because I was just having a little bit of a stress. <laughs> but we got it all done. I got my shoes from Apple Central in time. I'm good to go. <laughs> And you touched on having an altered training routine this week. How has that um, kind of shaped up in Queensland? Yeah, so they just pretty much had to change the timings around. Um, we've trained at Nissan Arena yesterday, which was really nice of them to let us um, get some time on court. Um, and then we headed into the Nissan Arena gym, which was really cool. And for the rest of the week, we pretty much just have time off. We have some conditioning in gym that we'll do tomorrow, but... That's not our own time, so it's quite a nice week to 
settling after a stressful few few hours. I can't even say stressful few days, it's stressful <laughs> few hours. I think that's the worst part when everything kind of compounds into one. It's just all of this built up stress. And for me personally, I would have just been freaking out for sure, would have forgotten like one of the most important things and then just absolutely freaked out once I got there. <laughs> Yes, I definitely did check that my dress had been packed more times than I'd like to admit. Didn't even think about the dress. That's definitely one that I would have forgotten about, that's for sure. Yes, and you you might need that, maybe. Yes, potentially. So it sounds like you guys have got a very interesting week coming up then. So you said you were based in Gold Coast, weren't you? Yes, in Gold Coast for the rest of the week. Um, I think they've kind of done it for a little bit of a treat, to be honest, just to let us relax and then we'll head back to Brisbane on Monday. That'll be good then because I was just trying to figure out travel-wise, how long does it take to commute here, there and everywhere? Yeah, well, last year we actually stayed in the Sunshine Coast, so it was even further away from mm. the arena. But just for the lifestyle and getting to live on gorgeous Mooloola Beach, it was definitely worth it. Wouldn't mind if I do. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Waking up to the beach every day wasn't exactly the hardest thing we've done. How do you think the Swifts can recapture that 2019 Premiership winning form? Yeah, that's a good question and it's definitely been asked a lot the past few years. Um, But I actually think if you look at our Giants game this year, we did somewhat recapture how we've been playing and it just looked easier and freer. So I think it's more of a mindset kind of thing with us. We've all got the skill. We've got a great roster, as I've said previously. I just think it's about not stressing about the end result and just sticking to our processes because when we do, we've got an epic game plan and we've got great talent. So I think if we just do the little things right, the little one percenters as we call them, we can get back there. And you touched on a game plan. What is the brand of netball that the Swifts really want to be renowned for this season? Yeah, well, when you do look at our 2019 team, I think everyone would be like, wow, the Swiss played such clinical possession-based netball. And I think in 2020, we went away from that a little bit. And obviously, that was our downfall towards the end. So sticking to just clinical play, basics, we don't, we're not a showy team. We don't need to do all the crazy acrobatic kind of movement. We just stick to our little game plan, stick to easy passes, getting the ball to our amazing world-class shooters. And I think we can get there. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much to Taylor Fraser from the New South Wales Swifts. We really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, guys. That was a great chat. Very easy. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. And a shout out to our Taylor's parents who are regular listeners. <laughs> they love the podcast. It makes me laugh. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. It was a huge round of ANZ Premiership action, round 10 this week. Uh, we had a few little niggling injuries there, which didn't make anyone very happy but we had three big matches all kind of blowout results in the end we had the southern steel losing to northern stars 53 43 we had the mystics beat the pulse 64 51 and the tactics beat the magic 68 51 huge round tay what were your talking points this week well, the Tactics actually made a record-breaking win. So it go. was, I think, their largest winning total in 14 years of the club being around. So that is a, a very interesting feat. And I think also the fact that they scored 22 goals in that first quarter was also a record-breaking feat of that, uh, for the Tactics. So all round, it was a really strong performance from them. As I've touched on before, Kartenberger is just developing at a rate of knots. We were used to seeing her in that wing defense position when she was with the central pulse, but she's really found her groove now 
with the tactics in goal defence and she probably had her best game alongside Jane Watson this season and the two of them just found so much space and worked really, really well together to just mount that pressure on the Magic front end and clearly we'll have to talk about the fact that Caitlin Bassett, the one and only Bass, she was having a great game. I think she shot 32 from 33 before she went off with what looked to be a bit of a knee injury once again, she landed awkwardly on the knee that she has heavily strapped and was hobbling off the court, didn't take any further part in the game. So that was disappointing to see. Yeah, it was a little bit of a worry because she's kind of been not hold, like not quite holding on it for most of the season, if that makes sense. She doesn't seem as strong as she usually does, um, especially when she's using that leg so I'm a little bit concerned it almost looked like it was a little bit of like a crunch like a really hard landing her knee didn't quite bend when she landed it looked a um, bit like a hyperextension because you know when you kind of land and it's everything like, is like straight back. yeah and there was no real wiggle room and she uh, grimaced at it straight away so clearly a bit of discomfort discomfort I should say from Seabass On the other hand, it was a really complete performance from the tactics. I mean, they were missing Ellie Bird last week and we said again that same thing of Tobias Albi Rickett really being kind of the barometer for the tactics side and they fired on all cylinders with Ellie Bird back in the side. She shot 47 from 58, a great return for someone coming back from a concussion just two weeks ago. So um, I was really impressed with the magic in this match. And Would you believe the tactics? the tactics in this match in their front end. And yeah, they just seemed really um, consistent. And although they lost the one quarter to the Magic, it wasn't enough to really shake them. Yeah, it was very nicely done, if that makes sense. Everything kind of worked into place. And Sam and Nathan and uh, Ericana Pedersen are both really finding their groove. Nathan, in particular, has been enjoying that extra court time and able to work her magic and find the top of the goal circle with great ease. So she's been a really important reason for the tactics success in their big wins, especially. But if we look at, we're going backwards of sorts. If we look at the Mystics game against the Pulse, where the Mystics won 64 to 51, it was just a blowout performance by the Mystics. They won every single quarter, 13 goals and 17, 17 and 17. Just a really, really strong performance. However, they will be concerned and uh, all eyes, I imagine, will be on whether or not Peta Toyava is okay. She came hobbling off in the last quarter and just, you know, wasn't 100% right. But she had another great performance. The wing attack just continues to blow my mind with her pinpoint feeds into Wiki. It's just phenomenal. I don't understand how she does it. Yeah, and she just spots her from anywhere on the court. And it's kind of like Verity Charles, like with Fowler, except it's both players just a fraction shorter. (laughs) It's, I mean, what I was really impressed with in this match was kind of Wiki's ability to kind of adjust into the match, if that makes sense. She kind of let a few balls go over in the beginning of the first quarter and then she really tightened up and didn't let it happen again. And it was kind of credit to Toyava's feeds as well. She placed them a little bit better. She was kind of able to bring Wiki into the game more. I mean, the Mystics shot 17 goals in the the second through last quarter. So they were really, really dominant and they were able to just consistently fire in that front end. They didn't seem to have any issues in there. Uh, Phil Davili and Savia Tui finally took the court. I mean, I think this is Tui's first time taking the court all season. So... 
finally. Very excited to see her there. Even if it was only for the six minutes. Well, I will touch on the fact that the Pulse just looked all out of sorts, especially trying or in that defensive unit. Like you touched on, Soph, the fact that Wiki was kind of forced out of it a little bit to start with, given that Kalira Naiwai and both Kelly Jury were really on song. The two of them had a really strong pairing to open things up. As soon as Petra Toyava worked her way into the game, they were really exploited. And then they didn't really use their wing defences that they had at their disposal, if that makes sense. Clearly now with uh, Kardenberger and Katrina Rore both leaving and, you know, the Pulse have had a, a huge turnover. They've been unable to really fill that role. They've had the likes of Maddie Gordon go through wing defence and they started off with Claire Kirsten for the first two quarters and then Maddie Gordon went back there for a little bit and then I think they brought Abby Irwood on for a few minutes and then Paris Mason came on. So there was just no real continuity and, and they could not find an answer to stop Toyava. I think personally Gordon was really good in terms of matching her for speed, but then Kirsten had her for strength. Yeah. But I would have preferred to have tried to have seen one of the young guns, whether it be Mason or Lokatoy, just get that little bit extra court time because they have the capacity to do it. They just need the opportunity out on court to really show what they're made of. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, defensively, the Pulse didn't necessarily play a bad game, but it certainly wasn't their best um, jury picked up four gains, but just the one intercept. And usually she can get her hands to much more than that. Um, Nawai, two intercepts, which obviously coming up against someone like um, Wiki, Wiki at the back, like that's going to be hard to get. But yeah, they just weren't quite able to have the same impact as they usually do. And it can kind of sometimes be a little bit frustrating to watch because we know what the Pulse are capable of. And they've certainly tested teams across the board this season after that shaky start. So seeing them go down by like such a hefty margin to to the Mystics, um, it just goes to show that they've still got those ways to go. Especially when you consider the fact that they took off Tiamu Amaru Tibble and then put Whitney Sunis into that wing at, in from wing attack into goal attack. And yeah. for me, it's really frustrating because Amaru Tibble was doing a really good yeah. job. Her numbers were good, 16 from 20. Okay, her goal assists were only at two, but she was at least sharing the load with Aaliyah Dunn yeah. then. And I mean, she, she turns and shoots. That's why she doesn't have the assist there. It's exactly. Not, it's not because she's not getting the ball. Exactly. So that was my real bugbear because, yes, Sunas is a great playmaker and that speed with Gordon in the attacking end was great to watch. But at the same time, you know that she is not going to put up the shots. So that's therefore allowing Sulu Fitzpatrick and Kate Burley to just mount this pressure in defence. And Fitzpatrick was in great form. She ended up with something like five intercepts for the game. Yeah. So she really shut down Dunn because Dunn only ended up with 31 goals. But you look at that and you go... Could the margin have been less if they allowed Amaru Tibble more court time? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll go on to the first game of the round because we really have gone backwards here. <laughs> and it was kind of a bit of an up and down game between the Steel and the Stars. The Stars did reign supreme, though, by 10 goals. Huge last quarter, which was kind of what really put the nail in the coffin there. Well, the huge last quarter was definitely down to the fact that George Fisher was not out on court. So, therefore, the Southern Steel were left a little bit shaken at the post. They didn't have that tall timber that was they were able to kind of release the ball into, whether it be circle edge or in the attacking third somewhere. So, that was a cu clearly a huge impact on them. And 
It was a bit of a scary contest, if you say, because both George Fisher and Ali Temu were both down on the ground. Fisher looked like she definitely came off the worst, but Temu also didn't take any further part in the game. The two of them seemed to have knocked heads or collided in some way, shape or form and all kind of entangled, ended up lying on the floor. So it wasn't it wasn't a great look. Yeah. Uh, clearly the concern lies with the two of them and how they recover. I think Fisher, we've already seen, has been ruled out of this week's upcoming action which is understandable so she's clearly suffering with a concussion but she was a little bit out of sorts anyway prior to this knock because Anna Harrison was just in absolutely scintillating form you wouldn't realize that she's 38 yeah it's ridiculous just the way she's able to not only assert herself on the contest but also just use her arms to block vision and do all those little one percenters where they're not necessarily always turning over the ball or kind of creating those turnovers but it's putting doubt in the mind of the feeders and doubt doubt in the mind of the player that she's directly on forcing uh missed shots things like that where I'm just continuously impressed by what she does just it's ridiculous and she's really bringing Temu into the game as well because she's allowing her to really play her own game and find her own feet and that's been one of my most favorite things to watch is just that connection blossom and it's a very very exciting time for the stars and if they are able to find that next level of consistency then it's definitely going to go a long way. Maya Wilson however I will say has been a little bit off the boil in the recent weeks her volume has been down and so too her accuracy so I don't know how long that will last I'm sure it won't be much longer but that's definitely something they'll want to address. Yeah, I agree. 38 from 47, by no means is that a low volume or a low accuracy, but it's certainly down on her standards. And I think sometimes she can almost engage too much in the argy-bargy from the defender. And obviously coming up against someone like Tanisha Fafida, she loves that physicality and she's always willing to bring that hunt. And you always know going into that battle that it is going to be really uh, tough on both players Uh, And yeah, Wilson just didn't necessarily play to it very well. She obviously still starred and she was able to have a huge impact in the second and last quarter. But that first and third quarter, when she kind of allowed um, Fafita to get in her head, uh, yeah, the the stars kind of had their moments where they were like, oh, we don't know what's going on here. Very much so. And one person I'd also like to touch on just from the Southern Steel is Kate Heffernan. I often think she doesn't get enough praise for the work that she done does, I should say, my goodness. The work that she does is just she's a really, really smooth mover and she has that defensive mind to be able to get hands to ball. She ended up with five intercepts and a deflection. She's a center. Yeah. Like to be able to get that and her read of the play and then her acceleration just allowed her to burst away from her opponent every now and then. And yes, they didn't get the win, but the Steel definitely have the makings to be a, a really strong competitor if they're able to keep this team together. Yeah, what I really like about Heffernan is she's been really reliable for the Steel and that's something that they need if they want to keep kind of pushing for that finals position. Um Unfortunately, they were not able to do that in this game, though, because of what did happen to Fisher. I'm pretty sure Temu didn't actually come off for that long. Um, Looking at the stats, she's actually played the full 58 minutes of 60. So perhaps she came off the end of the third when I think that's, yeah, my bad. And then came back on. The stream went down for a bit, so I must have (laughs) missed her when she came back on. I just continued merrily along, not realising. Apologies. But, um, yeah, it's a bit of a worry there. 
Um, so fingers crossed that the two injuries or three injuries that we saw, what was it? It was um, Fisher, Bassett and Toyava. Not to mention um, Farmu Iwani. I think she also went off with a little bit of an ankle injury. So there were there were injuries aplenty. Yes, and fingers crossed that Temelisi Fakahokatao is back next week too because she also still wasn't back. Yeah, she sprained her ankle last week and the, you could tell that the Magic really missed that. Not only her leadership but so too her ball-winning abilities just because she's such a threat and a presence down in defence for the Magic. Definitely. Well, it has been a huge week of both SSN and ANZ action. We'll quickly run through round 11 of ANZ. Obviously, we ran through SSN last round, so we won't bother doing that again. Uh, So first up for ANZ, we've got Central Pulse versus Mainland Tactics. Then we've got the Stars versus the Mystics and the Steel versus the Magic. Three really interesting games here. I'm very, very intrigued by the Stars Mystics one, especially if Toyava isn't quite right. That was going to be my one. So, yes, that's a really good point because the last time that the Stars played the Mystics, they shook up their defensive unit a little bit and they put Anna Harrison out into wing defense to kind of combat Toyava. So that's going to be interesting to see whether or not they do that again, given how dominant Harrison has been in that goalkeeper position. Clearly, normally Lisa Mather is the one that gets the the nod there, but they have so many options, whether it be Oshian Maihi or Ali Temu that play in that circle defence and then they do swing Harrison out. So that's definitely going to be a game to watch. Central Pulse v Mainland Tactics, this could be an absolute blowout if the Pulse put out a performance like they did last round and the Tactics keep up this winning form. Yeah, and then the Steel and the Magic, unfortunately, I don't think the Magic have kind of the intent to match the steel in this match it'll depend though because if fisher is out of action yeah. then they will have the likes of kiana palacio That's and very true then it's but seabass may be out of action which C- forces changes there yeah but then you look at the likes of kiana williams and kiara semple and the and two of them are really really strong players and really crafty and they've also both had consistent court time whereas palacio hasn't this season for the steel so that certainly makes things interesting Well, like we said, plenty of huge action coming up this weekend. Two matches for the SSN, three for the ANZ, and we will see you next week.